Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to email us and let us know what God is currently doing in your life. Or if you'd like to support the ministry financially, you can do so here on our website. Right now, you're about to listen to a message from our current series. Thanks for tuning in today. I want you to open your Bibles to Mark, the fourth chapter. Mark, the fourth chapter, we've been doing a series on the parable of the sword. I almost do that once a year. Why is that important? Because everything about your life is based on this parable. Everything. Uh, uh, whether, 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 the, whether it is good or not good, whatever, whatever you are, what you believe, how, your convictions, your ideologies, everything about your life is based on the parable of the sower. And uh, the parable of the sores based on, uh, on, 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 the, on how the kingdom of God works. If you can understand the principle of sowing and reaping, then you can actually tap into the eternal things of God and reap those things in your life. Just like the day you got born again, you accepted Christ in your life, you received that seed of truth into your heart, and then God did something supernatural, and he raised you from spiritual death onto eternal life. How many are grateful for that today? And so because, because of that, praise the Lord, um, uh, because you put your faith in, in, the, in, in that truth, that truth set you free. It made you free. Praise the Lord. I, I wonder, um, oh, he's, he, he's looking for my outliners right here. <laughs> I want to go tell Andy he can relax. Praise the Lord. And uh, uh, so anyway, um, there's a scripture in the Bible in Proverbs, the fourth chapter. I didn't write it down, but you, you can write it down. Proverbs 4, verse 23. It says this. David, ta- uh, excuse me, Solomon talking to his son. He says, uh, verse 20 says, My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear into my sayings. Um, let them not depart from thine eyes, but keep them in the center of your heart. For they, my words, are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. So it touches every aspect of your life. But then he said this. Protect your heart, and here's one translation, because it determines the course of your life. Everything about your life begins on the inside of you. Now, if you, uh, I don't know, I didn't get saved until I was 20 years old. I didn't know any of this stuff. And so, I'm telling you, right, I suffered the first 20 years of my life, um, basically because of that law of seed time and harvest. But it wasn't good seed that was being sown into my life, it was bad seed. And so, I was reaping oppression torment, bondage, fear, suicidal tendencies, everything that was not good, I was, I was reaping in my life and didn't understand why. I thought I was just simply born on the wrong side of the tracks, but once I got saved, I realized that everybody's born on the wrong side of the tracks <laughs> until we meet Jesus, praise the Lord, that puts us on the right train. Can I have an amen? So anyway, the Pearl Bowl of Sower, it's all about farming, it's all about farming, seed time and harvest in your life. Everything that, that uh, everything sto- um, Jesus told in this story of the parable of the sower points to the parable of the st- uh, sower and every other story always pointed to the spiritual side of life. Never anything but natural. He used natural stories. That's what a parable is. It's a natural story to reveal a spiritual truth. That's what this parable is about. The parable of the sower is about the heart or the spirit of man. Listen, and the diligence on our part to make sure that we reap a harvest of, uh, of the God kind of life, all right? And it, it takes a lot of di- diligence because we know the seed of God's word in this parable, it landed on four different environments. The soil was the same, but the environment was different. There was hard ground. 
There was stony ground, which we covered. There was thorny ground and good ground, and only the good ground reaped a harvest. So it takes a lot of diligence on our part to reap the things of God, the good things of God, specifically and first and foremost, the character of God. How many want to reap the character of God in your life? It takes a lot of diligence on our part to do so. When God told Adam to subdue and have dominion, first and foremost, it was over his own will. Now, I want you to remember this. I want you to write this down. God made me a free moral agent. God made me a free moral agent, meaning I can choose whatever I want to do. Uh, you young kids, you're going to learn this early in life. If you can, if you can study our lives and, and, and really study our lives and recognize the mistakes we made, you can avoid those in your life. And you can save a lot of heartache. Or you can repeat, we call them generational generational curses, but I call them generational choices, we can, or we can, we can continue on in that, you know, in, 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 in sowing uh, uh, the human side of life and then reaping a lot of destruction, which we don't want. So we can learn a lot by, by studying uh, the decisions, uh, choices other people have made. Um, you are a free moral agent. God gave you the power to choose. He gave you the power to choose anything you want to do. Now, if you choose God, you're choosing life. If you choose your, to be self-willed, well, then you'll go, we'll end up ultimately suffering for it. Uh, uh, when God told Adam to subdue and have dominion, he, um, he wanted him to uh, choose God, to stay spiritually connected and committed to God. And by doing so, he, he was blessed not only with God's presence, listen, but he was blessed with God's provision. He was abundantly blessed in every area of his life. And as long as he stayed submitted to God, and his will yielded to God's will. Uh, I want you to say this out loud. I am a free moral agent. I am a free moral agent. Having the God-given power, God power to choose. And every choice I make, make. will affect my present and my future, and ultimately determine the quality of my life. Really is true. There's some of you in here that maybe for the first 30 years, 30 years of your life, you were determined to do life without God, and it caused a lot of suffering and heartache in your life. But thank God you got saved, so now you can choose to follow God and be Godlike in your life, which, which honors God and, 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 and cause you to be a light to those in the world. Now, God addressed this to the children of Israel. Here's what he said, Deuteronomy 30. He says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. God's speaking to Israel. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live because the choices you make ultimately affect your, your, uh, your descendants, your offspring, okay? Uh, that thou mayest love, look at this. Uh, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days. He really is. He is the length of thy days. Length of our days. One, one night we were watching Johnny Carson many, many years ago, and, uh, and, and it was so long ago that Amy was just a little, little girl. Angie was probably a baby. And, um, and there was, they had an old guy on there, and he was like 105. I mean, he was really old. And so when he, when he, when he said his age... That Amy, out of Amy's mouth came, uh, mom and dad, uh, uh, he must have really honored his parents. She got that from studying her Bible. That if you honor your parents, you'll live long on the earth. Amen. Isn't that something? 
And so he promised that. He said, if you will love the Lord your God, obey his voice, cleave unto him, he is, the, he is thy life and the length of thy days. Thy day. So loving God, obeying him, and cleaving unto him, those are the keys to an abundant and blessed life. The word cleave is the same word that is used in the marriage union. It means to pursue, to follow, or stick close to, to fasten to. So the, the, very, the very key to a strong and healthy relationship in marriage is the same key in your relationship with the Lord. Amen. You want to stay strong? You want to stay healthy spiritually? Then you love the Lord and, and obey him and cleave to him. Now here in Mark the fourth chapter, again, the, uh, we're going to cover this morning the thorny ground. And I'm not going to read it all because I, I, I don't have time to rehearse a lot of things. In Mark the fourth chapter, verse eight, 18, it says, These are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, they hear the word you're hearing this morning, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things, entering in, choke the word, and it, the heart, becomes unfruitful. Think about that. He's talking, he's addressing the disciples. So he's addressing you and I. How many are disciples of Christ here today? You're a disciple of Christ. The word disciple means you're a student of the things of God. Okay? So that's what he's talking. He's talking to us. And he says this, he says that um, um, uh, the things, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of virtues, lots of other things, enter in and choke the word, and it, the heart, becomes unfruitful. So God is letting us know that there are foreign seeds that enter into the heart of every believer on a daily basis. Things that, if they're not addressed, will grow up and choke out the very character of God in your life. Can anybody relate? How many of you have ever liked to, acted like the devil since you've been saved? Sometime or another. Absolutely. But God doesn't want that in your life. The only reason that comes out of your life is because you've allowed that to take root in your life. We are stewards of our lives. We can never blame our wives, our husbands, our children. We can never blame anybody at all about the quality of life that we live. We are responsible to, to um, uh, whatever we allow inside and begin to grow. But there is the God seed, the, the word of God, the life of God. That seed is available to us, but all these foreign seeds are being scattered into our hearts on a daily basis, every day. And it's our responsibility to make sure that we keep those out. What are, what are the foreign seeds? Well, right here, the first thing is the cares of this world. The word care in the Greek means distractions. The distractions of the age is what the Amplified says. And they don't necessarily have to be evil distractions. They can just simply be distractions. And we've got them more than ever before. I mean, how, how in the world did we ever live without cell phones? I lived without cell phones. I mean, young kids are going, oh, 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 you're kidding, you're that old. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> lived without cell phones. Lived without a computer. We had, we had the thing that, the technology that excited us was CB radio, CBs. Uh, when we owned the trucking business, uh, uh, of course, I was, loved the Lord, I was born again, and, and uh, my CB handle was shining light. <laughs> and I had a blast with that because I always witnessed truckers on the, on the road when I, when I was uh, Traveling on the road, sharing Jesus with people. You know, they can't, they can't offend you when you're on your CB radio. They can't reach through the window and hit you in the head. You know, so you're just really going to be confident. So that was technology of our day. We thought that was phenomenal. You can communicate with people, help you keep awake at nighttime when you're traveling late and you're tired. and You could get on the radio. Hey, Breaker 19, Breaker. Yeah, go ahead, Breaker. I go, go ahead. 
So it was really exciting. See, some of you are going, what? What, what was that? It always did that. Went, <coughs> go ahead. <coughs> I'm not clearing my throat. That's how it sounded. How many, how many remember CB? See? Oh, my goodness. A lot of old people in here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the distractions of this world. In Luke, the 10th chapter, Jesus tells a story about a woman by the name of Martha. Martha and Mary were sisters, and Martha and Mary's brother, Lazarus, was the one that Jesus had risen from the dead. And lo and behold, one day, they got a knock on the door, Martha and Mary, and guess who showed up? It's God, incarnate in flesh. And he shows up for dinner. And so, the story goes like this. As Jesus and the disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what the Lord said. And, um, but Martha was distracted by the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And he said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needful, or needed, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So here's Martha frustrated. Now listen, I want you to, don't be hard on Martha. How many would be a little bit stressed if Jesus came knocking on your door for supper? Okay, most of you are just lying. I mean, this is God. This is the real thing. And uh, so... She is stressed out about the whole situation because she's got this whole responsibility on herself. And so she addresses Jesus. But what's interesting, I thought about this. This is what probably Jesus was thinking. Martha, Martha, don't you care that your sister is getting her needs met? Every time that we are here in a service, we have people out here serving in the nursery, giving up their day, their morning, their time, the children's ministries, so that you can sit here uh, without distraction and receiving the good things of God. Is that awesome or what? But it requires sacrifice from somebody. And again, I appreciate all of you that do serve in the different capacities of this ministry because it wouldn't work without you all being willing to use your gifts for God. And God will never, ever overlook that, but will bless you uh, for it. And everybody say amen to that. So he is, he's concerned about, Jesus is concerned about people getting the word. Martha's concerned about that she has no help. And uh, I don't believe it was Jesus' desire to rebuke Martha publicly. But because she made her grievance public, it left Jesus no other choice but then to rebuke her publicly. And the message Bible says Martha was pulled away by all she had to do in the kitchen. Later she stepped in interrupting them. And said, Master, don't you care that my sister has abandoned the kitchen to me? Tell her to lend me a hand. The master said, Martha, dear Martha, you are fussing far too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. One thing only is essential, and Mary has chosen it. It's the main course and won't be taken from her. Now listen, Jesus was not devaluing what Martha was doing, but what happened because of Martha's attitude, uh, she was literally losing uh, the very spiritual things that she had first received when she was listening. See, that's the whole thing. It's a heart attitude. It's a heart attitude. Martha, you got to keep your heart right. 
Because to today, you're here, and you made the right choice. You came to hear the word of God. You came to worship God. You came to fellowship with, the, with, uh, with people, to love people, encourage one another, or be encouraged yourself. You made the right choice today. You came to church, praise God. Amen. There's a lot of people that don't go to church. Or there's people that they stay home and watch TV and say, so-and-so is my pastor on TV. But they'll never grow. They'll, and I don't mean to use this disrespectfully, but they'll remain retarded in their spiritual lives. They'll never grow up and become everything they could be because they're discerning the house of God wrongly. God was the one that raised up the church, not man. Can I have an amen? He raised up the synagogues. He raised up the places, specific places for people to go. Uh, I got to tell you this. Next Sunday is our building offering. I just, got, I just thought of this, so I got to tell you. And our building offering. So, you know, just be praying because we're going to pay this debt off in Jesus' name. But, what I, but, but, I, was, I, uh, but I was studying the book of First Chronicles. And uh, uh, reading First Chronicles, I was reading out of the NLT, the New Living Translation, because it's just a little easier to understand. And so I'm just enjoying it, and I get all the way to the almost the 30th chapter. I'm in, I think, the 29th chapter. And then 29th chapter, uh, David, of course, you all know this, he wants to build a house of God. He wants to build a worship center in Jerusalem. But because of the blood on his hands, because of so much killing that he had done, God said, no, I'm not going to allow you to do it. I'm going to have your son Solomon do it. And so David, he doesn't get upset. He gets excited. And so what he does, he sets aside some gold. And, uh, and, uh, and, and then the people brought gold and silver. He set aside gold, silver. The people all gathered together. All of us gathered together, and we brought our gold and our silver. And that's what they did. And, and, some, and there was other other. Uh, things like iron and, and, um, and uh, bronze. There was this other stuff that they were bringing. But I just simply took the silver and the gold and, the, and, the, uh, and a couple other uh, materials, and I added, because it said specifically how much it was. And so I, we, I had Camille, I, uh, I challenged her mind. I said, Camille, figure this out in math. I could have called Angie. She's a straight-A student in math, but she was busy, so I had Camille do it. She, she figured out how much it cost, or how much they spent on Solomon's temple in today's money. Just under $13 billion. You think, hey, the Viking Stadium was a billion. Solomon's house was $13 billion. You think that thing was nice? Took him seven years to build it, but took 13 years to build his house. Well, there's 700 bedrooms. You know, he had 700 wives. Can you imagine the toilet paper? I mean, just amazing. So God is very, he's, he, I mean, this is nothing for him. Paying for this house is nothing for God. All he needs is people being willing to bring their offerings. Can I have an Amen. 13 billion. God is extravagant. You know, I get tired of these banks going up. And you walk into them. They are so extravagant. It's unbelievable. And then, then we spend a little money in the house of God and, you know, and, and people get offended for that. We should have the most extravagant building. I walked into the Catholic church down here three blocks away. That place is absolutely, I'd love to preach there. Amen. I'd even sprinkle the water. I mean, I'd love to preach there, praise the Lord. <laughs> Come on, that place, they got 14, they spent 14 million dollars on the inside. 14 million! And paid for it. Oh. 
Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And I walked into it, I was just, I was just, I just could, this is just absolutely gorgeous. Praise the Lord. Well, we don't have that much into this building. Amen. God is faithful. So I just wanted to share that with you. That Hey, I want you to prepare yourself, praise the Lord, and bring your offering. Can I have an amen? So anyway, now I want you to turn to Luke 14th chapter, real quick. Luke 14, huh? Time guys flies so fast when you're enjoying the word of God. Luke the 14th chapter, we're going to begin there this morning. Luke 14, or, or start there. Again, this is another parable. It's called the parable of the great supper. And Jesus, listen, he gives us three specific distractions that, uh, that, that have been a snare for every generation of believers since Christ. Amen. Luke the 14th chapter, verse 15. Now, I would love, I'd love to read the first 14 verses, but look at verse 15. And some, and when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, to really understand that, you need to read the previous verse, verses. But, um, but the, the point is that they said, oh my goodness, this is amazing. Blessed is he that eats, um, blessed is he, let me read it, that, um, uh, that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And I believe Jesus' response was yes, yes. But then, on the other hand, you'd be surprised how many people don't hunger for the bread from heaven. And then, of course, he goes ahead and gives us a parable. Verse 16. And then he said unto them, A certain man made a great supper, and he invited many. Amen. And sent his servant at supper time to say to them that they were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. So supper time. Supper time is simply a set time that we humans make. For some people, they eat at five in the afternoon, for five in the evening. Uh, a supper time for us on the farm, supper time, supper was the evening meal. Uh, the, the town folk call it dinner. But we had dinner at noon. So you were all late. Right, Carl? We had dinner, right, we had dinner at noon. Amen. When did you have lunch? We had lunch at around 9.30. When did you have breakfast? We had breakfast at five, uh, about six o'clock in the morning. Amen. We'd go down, we'd prepare the, we'd have to, oh, I tell you. Oh, I, I don't know if I brought it. I don't know if I, maybe I didn't even bring it. Oh, I did. I brought a list. I wanted to, I brought a list of the things that Carl, some of you, oh, Brother Sievert, some of you are going to relate. How many of you were raised on a farm? Raise your hand if you were raised. Oh, you blessed people. Hallelujah. Well, I wrote down just a little bit of history of my childhood labor. Because I wanted you to hear, you, I wanted you city folks to hear what a worker does. <laughs> Early in the spring was the time to clean the barn, the hog shed, and the chicken coops. And yes, all by hand. And because of the wintertime, we'd, we'd throw straw into the stalls. The manure got usually about two and a half to three feet deep. And mixed in with the straw. Is that right? And mixed in with the straw. And, and if you were good at it, you could actually peel the manure off in layers. Unbelievable. Then we hauled the manure out into the fields, which are, of course, the natural fertilizer for the crops. We, then we milked cows twice a day, seven days a week, every 12 hours. Hated it. We raised hogs 
and baby pigs. We raised calves in the spring also. And of course, many of those, uh, often we had to feed uh, with a milk bottle because they wouldn't take the udder from mama. And so we had to feed them where they die. So that took time. Uh, when the pigs reached a certain age and weight, dad and I had to fix them, cut them. And guess who got to hold the pigs? And then when you're holding the pigs, you got, you got to squeeze their head between your legs and, and, and they're going, <laughs> well, I would be too. And I'm just, they're holding you. I'm holding them. And, and they would once in a while break loose from your leg, break loose from between the legs and clap on your leg. And guess who had to hold the pigs? Me. We raised chickens that had to be fed daily, eggs that had to be collected twice a day. We raised uh, turkeys uh, to, to um, uh, have over the winter. We killed and dressed our own beef, pork, and chickens. And of course, my mom had a huge garden that we had to tend to. And uh, we, um, we, uh, in the spring, we had to plow the fields, overturn the soil. We don't do that today. We chisel plow, but we plowed. I don't know if you plow anymore, uh, Brother Seaver, but we plowed. And then you had, after plowing, you had to disc. Why? Because the disc broke down the big chunks of the plow. And then after you, pl- uh, disc, you, uh, after you disc, you had to then drag, because the drag broke down the clumps even smaller so that you could plant. We had to do all that. And then uh, once we got the corn in, the soybeans in, the wheat and the oats, we, we farmed 360, 360 acres in 1960 uh, was, was a, a good-sized farm. And so Dad and I, of course, did it up by ourselves. And then after the corn and the soybeans and the wheat and the oats were planted, it was time to bale hay. And then we had to haul the hay, of course, to the barn and put it up into the loft where it was 90 degrees, no air, and stack the bales in the loft. Are you kids grateful so far that you've got what you got. <laughs> and then cultivating the crops began, right, Brother Seaver? Then we had to cultivate. Why? Because that back then, we, uh, we didn't spray. We, we didn't use sprays. We used manure. And so because you didn't spray, the weeds would come up, so you had to cultivate between the good, good um, uh, uh, plants and so to keep the weeds from choking out the plants. And then, of course, that was nonstop until harvest time. And then in the late fall, we had to cut silage and then blow the silage into our silo. And then in the wintertime, this was my job. And ah, I tell you, in the wintertime, I had to go up with a 10-time, a 10-time, you remember the 10-times? The 10-time pitchfork. They were this wide, 10-time. Not a 4-time, a 10-time. <laughs> and then with that, with a pickaxe. And then I'd go up in the silo and I would pick away the frozen silage and throw it down into, all the way down to the bottom, into a little uh, shed. That, and then I would have to crawl back down and then load them in 30-gallon buckets. Did you have any of those, Carl? Uh, with, uh, with rope handlebars. And then trudge through the snow unto the, uh, what do you call that thing? The trough for the cattle. This was, this was what I did all the time. <laughs> Seven stinking days a week. And dad would give me two to three dollars for, well, of course, back then you could get four gallons of gas for a dollar, you know, but that don't mean nothing. I barely got any money for it. Why? Because I got food on the table, I I had a full belly, I had a place to sleep, and so you weren't expecting anymore. Today, the kid gets up and goes, how much, how much, how much, how much are you going to give me for cleaning my room? Here, I'll give you this. I'm serious. I mean, we, we, we worked hard. I don't want to bore you with any more, but we worked hard. 
And then in the fall, of course, we, after we did the oats and we went out in the field and we um, furrowed them, or what do you call that, collected all the uh, uh, straw, and then we had to put, uh, we had to bale straw bales. I mean, it was nonstop work. I mean, Brother Seaver, he, 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 now he was way more, he was more messed up in his head than we were. He, he milked a hundred cattle. A hundred. Is that right? Oh, I, I can't believe you're not in therapy. A hundred, and he finally got rid of them, praise God, and it was the best thing he ever did. Is that right? I'm not, I'm just, I'm just, right? It was the best thing he ever did? Carolyn is happy, hallelujah. Why did I say that? I wanted you to know that we worked up an appetite. That's right. I mean, there was no, there was no, of course, I didn't drink beer, so there was no beer bellies. I mean, I'm telling you, you just worked hard, and you just burnt everything off. Yeah, but I worked up an appetite. That, that's the thing I wanted to get across, work up an appetite. You know, the Bible says that Jesus prayed for laborers because he's been short of laborers in his house ever since the church was birthed 2,000 years ago. And I think if we'd get busy for God, praise God, amen, it would create a hunger for us for more of the things of God. Amen. If we just get involved and get busy for him because that is what the will of God is regarding our lives. Let's continue. Hallelujah. So the Bible says they, uh, uh, so he invited, uh, and, and um, uh, verse 18, he invited all his friends. He said, come on, let's go, let's eat, now it's ready. And they all with one excuse began to make, ex- they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground. I have must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go to prove them. I, have, I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And so all of them had an excuse. And the, my side reference to my Bible says that, uh, the excuses were worldly cares, business cares, and family cares. And isn't that something that be, human behavior has never changed in the 2,000 years uh, uh, for the 2,000 years that that, ha- that was written, 2,000 years ago. The human, has, uh, the human behavior has never changed. We still have exactly the same distractions today. And, and you know what happens? Here's what happens. In the Bible says all, all of them had an excuse. And what's interesting is this, that, or what was sad about is this, that they had lost their appetite for the things of God by focusing on fillers. The fillers were business cares, worldly cares, and family cares. And it's true. I mean, I, I, we've done this before. Uh, didn't know that first, you know, what time supper was. So we, we, we were snacking on food until about 10 minutes before supper, and you're not even hungry because you got fillers inside of you. And that's exactly what happens in our lives. We get so busy with all of these other things that they become fillers, and therefore it, we lose our hunger for the most important thing in your life, and that's God's word. It's true. Worldly cares, business cares, and family cares. Jeremiah said this. He says, and he's addressing God's people who lost their hunger for the things of God. He said, your words were found, and I ate them, and your words were to me a joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Now, in Luke 4, Jesus being tempted with hunger after 40 days of fasting, here's what he said. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That is your life. That, that is what satisfies you as a believer. Isn't that funny that we can become just as hungry as the world if, we're, if we lose our focus on what's important? 
We can. We can, we can begin to pursue natural things uh, over the uh, most important thing in your life. That's the eternal word of God. The children of Israel faced these distractions. And the prophet Isaiah, he said this in Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money. So you know he's talking about the eternal things, the spiritual things. And without price. So why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Now listen carefully to me. And eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. The Lord just simply saying, why don't you put me in my word first and you'll, 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 you'll discover uh, how to be truly satisfied. Back to Luke 14. Now a large crowd was following Jesus. This was after he had given this story about the business, the, care, uh, the, the worldly cares, the business cares, and the family cares. He says a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and he said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone by comparison. Your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Why? Because every one of those relationships, if they're before God, will become a distraction to you. They'll, they'll, become, they'll, they'll become a stumbling block to you in the spiritual progress that God has for you in your life. God loves people. He's, loves, he's, a, family, he's a family God. So he's not trying to to tell you that you're supposed to hate people, but in comparison, make sure that you keep your priorities right. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. If you do not carry your own cross, that cross simply is a position of self-denial. He says, and follow me, you cannot be my disciple, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would bring, uh, begin the construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you and they would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. And how many Christians have laid the spiritual foundation of their lives by getting born again and then get caught up with worldly cares, business cares, and family cares and never, ever grow up to display God's presence in their lives? That's what he's talking about there. So if you're, you, you know, you got to stop and consider there is a cost of following the Lord. And that's everything. You know, we bring people down, you know, to, to, to accept Christ in their lives and, and because the gift of salvation is free. But if you're going to follow God, it's going to cost you everything. But if, but, but, if you deter, but if you discern the value of that, you'll have everything. I said, you'll have everything. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things that the Gentiles seek after will be added unto you. That's what the Lord said. We just simply, because of our humanness, we get the cart before the horse in so many, in so many things of our lives. Let's go on. It says, um, uh, verse 26 of the Message Bible, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even one's own self can't be my disciple. Anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me can't be my disciple. Is there anyone here who planning to build a new house? See, remember what Jesus said, or not, Paul said, um, if any man, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. All things of that former life has passed away. Now all things regarding your spiritual walk with God are now new. So he's talking about a new house. He goes on and says, anyone who here planning to build a new house doesn't first sit down and figure the cost so you'll know if you can complete it. If you only get the foundation laid and then you run out of money, that means simply spiritual currency, you have lost your focus. 
uh, on, what, on what is important, what is valuable. You're going to look pretty foolish. Everyone passing by will poke fun at you. He started something he couldn't finish. I think the greatest, the greatest animosity that the world has against the church is that the church don't live it. That's the, that's the animosity because, see, if you live it, listen, it's going to do two things. It's going to bring conviction or condemnation. But that's not your responsibility. That's the one that's hearing. But that's okay because it brings conviction. They can get saved, but it brings condemnation. That's okay because then they're just judging their own, their own hearts. Isn't that good? But we're still called to live it. Or, listen to this. Can you imagine a king going into battle against another king without first deciding whether it is a possible is it possible with his 10,000 troops to face the 20,000 troops of the other you know what that reminded me every when you step into the ring of spiritual commitment to god you automatically you automatically have stepped into a world of warfare and you will always be outnumbered. I want you to understand that. The devil has been playing this game for 6,000 years, or probably a lot longer than that, but he's been playing this game of deception, delusion, and he's so good at it. He's so good at it. And you're up against a whole lot more than what you realize when it comes to your spiritual progress. Anytime you make a commitment, anytime you decide in your heart you're going to make a greater commitment to God, greater adversity comes in your life because the devil doesn't want you to make that commitment. And so simply he said, what are you going to do? You better be smart. You better be smart to realize that you are not going to win those battles without a God-centered life. Can I have an amen? You're not going to. So simply put it, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. Now, salt is excellent, but if, any, uh, but if, but if the salt goes flat, he's saying if, you're, if your spiritual life goes flat, there's nothing that God can do about it. He said, it's, good, it's useful, good for nothing. Now, are you listening to this? Are you really listening? So you have to discern in your, in your life personally how salty you are. How passionate are you for the things of God? I mean, just personal. Because the Christian walk kids, I mean, I don't care if it's, you know, my, my grandchildren. Your Christian walk is an individual commitment and consecration and experience. It's an individual experience. You, you, you walk with God no matter if nobody else does. You're going to stay true to God. You're going to stay committed to God. God will see your heart. God will honor your decision. And he'll empower you to, to do the very things that you desire regarding honoring him. Hallelujah. So there were two more things we must avoid to preserve God's word in our hearts. That's the deceitfulness of riches. We won't talk about these things by simply saying, uh, what is deceitful about riches? Here's what's, here's what's de deceitful. It's you believing that if you can just attain enough money, you'll be happy. There's the trick. There, there's the stumbling block. And, and I've seen this through the years. I, I've seen it so many, so, so many. I've seen it through the years where God has prospered. And I'm so grateful because God has prospered um, um, uh, many of you in this church. And you're still committed to the things of God. But, but listen, here's the thing. Here, here's, it's all about the heart. If in your heart you begin to value the temporal over the eternal, that's where you'll get in trouble. In Mark, the 10th chapter, you can read it, verse 17 through verse 33, something like that. It's a story about the rich man who ran to Jesus, bowed down, 
And I'm sure that, and I always imagine in my mind, he pulled out his checkbook and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And there was only one stumbling block in his life, and that is he trusted in uncertain riches. And because he could not let go of that, listen, he lost both. He lost his riches, and he lost his eternal life. Now, he may have maintained his riches for, you know, so many more years, but is it possible, is it possible that that rich man, he didn't go to hell, because, I mean, excuse me, there was a rich man, is it possible that that young rich ruler was the rich man that Jesus talked about who went to hell? He didn't go to hell because he was rich. He went to hell because he didn't use his money. Uh, uh, he became very hard-hearted regarding the needs of people because he had a poor man, Lazarus, eating the crumbs from his table. It would have not hurt him at all to feed him and take care of him. And he was a Jew, by the way. That gentleman was a Jew who went to hell. And God had prospered him, but he didn't use his prosperity for the glory of God. That's why if you use the little prosperity that you have for the glory of God right now, you'll use the big of it when God gives it to you. Can I have an amen? It's true. Praise the Lord. Amen. Having unhealthy longing for money is what gets us in trouble. I wrote this down. You can write it down. God's will is for you to prosper, but not at the expense of his will. Isn't that good? God's will is for you to prosper, but not at the expense of his will. Ah, but from the profit of his will. You stay true to him, stay focused, keep your heart, keep your life before God, then his kingdom will profit in you and you'll profit in every area of life besides. Amen. I love that. God's will is not, it's for you to prosper, but not at the expense of his will. Ecclesiastes 5, I'm almost done here. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? I see some of these, um, what do you call it, these sports uh, figures who have never had money. And they become instant millionaires only to have, in a, just a few years, they're completely broke and bankrupt. Because they didn't manage they were never taught how to manage the little they have. And so they couldn't manage the much that they had. So God wants, say God wants me blessed. God. Amen. Uh, the third thing we must avoid to pres uh, preserve God's word and character in our lives is that we need to avoid the lusts of other things. Oh my goodness, I could talk forever on that subject. But this scripture I just picked out and then we're going to pray. Do not love or cherish the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, craving for sensual gratification, and the lust of the eyes, greedy longings of the mind, and the pride of life, assurance in one's own resources in the stability uh, or in the stability of earthly things. These do not come from the Father, but are from the world itself. And the world passes away and disappears. It sure does. And with it, the forbidden cravings, the passionate desires, the lust of it. But he who does not, but he who does the will of God and carries out his purposes in his life abides and remains forever. Hallelujah. Amen. I've made a few trips to the Philippines. And the people in the Philippines... Overall, they're very poor. They're a third world country, and uh, they don't have a lot. So they, when they get food on the table and a roof over their heads, they're extremely grateful. We in America, on the other hand, are extremely blessed. How many believe that we're blessed because 
God, uh, America was built on the foundation of God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. On the other hand, that can become a trap to us. Isn't that something that God wants to so bless in our lives, but if we're not wise and recognize where it comes from and whom it comes from, it can become a stumbling block to us. And God never will that. But that's just the passion of man apart from the spiritual life of God. We end up seeking value, and that's exactly what the rich man did. He valued the temple over the eternal. How could you be so dumb to, dumb to value the temporal above the eternal? How could you be so dumb? Because he really believed that. Just like a lot of the young people, they believe that you know, they're, they're going to live for a long time or live forever or whatever. But it's only for a moment. It's only for a moment. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning services at 10 o'clock. We also have what we call School of the Bible on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.